Revelation. Let me turn here. Helps if I would have been there earlier. Revelation chapter 11. Ready? Verse 1. The Apostle John is writing. He has visions. Then he says, I was given, chapter 11, verse 1, I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood, saying, Arise, John, and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave, the, leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread, in other words, the Gentiles will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Let me stop here. Do you know who a Gentile is? A Gentile is anybody that's not Jewish, all right? Anybody that's not Jewish. And those who aren't Jewish will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Wow. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. Wow, there's a lot in there. So for your sake, we're only looking at two verses tonight. But I want to read the context of that, because the context of what we just read is going to matter for this message and also for the next message. And for the record, the next message, you've heard of the two witnesses in Jerusalem that are calling fire down from heaven? That's them. That is the next message. Who are they? Is this Moses and Elijah? Is it, is it Elijah and Elisha? Is it somebody else? Are they alive today? We're looking at all of that in the next time. It's going to be fun. Tonight's going to be good too. But in these two verses, the first two verses alone, again, the whole thing, all six of those for the context of the understanding. Um, but just in the fir first two verses, we're looking at the last day's temple. So we come to the first question. Is there going to be a literal temple in Jerusalem? The, the short answer on this is yes. John writes, then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, rise, measure the temple of God, the altar of God, and those who worship there. There is going to be a temple according to what we are reading here. And John is, is told, you've got a measuring rod, a reed. Uh, the reed, the measuring rod that John is using would be a short stick, a lightweight stick. In this case, it's something like a ruler or a yardstick. And John is told to measure the temple and those who worship there. So the temple is the temple of God. It is real. This isn't fake news. This is real. Turn with me, if you have a Bible with you, to the left in your Bible, and then we'll be back here. So, we, but just for a short time, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want to show you these verses. Then we'll be back in Revelation in just a minute. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, this is what uh, we are told. The Apostle Paul is writing, chapter 2, verse 1, 2 Thessalonians. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, 
as though the day of Christ had come. In other words, if you're still here and you haven't seen these events that I'm going to write about, then you know you didn't miss it. So don't worry about it, all right? So you're still here, right? So these things from tonight apply to what Paul the Apostle was writing here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Don't Listen, if you're still here, you didn't miss the boat. You didn't miss the rapture. Basically it. Verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. The falling away, that's the great apostasy um, from all that is good, from all that is right. We are witnessing the great apostasy right now in the sense of the secular world, but it's also happening within churches too as churches are departing from God's truth. And uh, they don't want to hear Jesus is coming again. It's remarkable, isn't it? The days that we live in, you look at all that is happening out there in the world and church people don't want to hear that Jesus is coming again. I mean, you would think now more than ever people would be excited, but in 2 Peter, Peter wrote, in the last days, uh, scoffers will come say, where's the promise of his coming? Our fathers told us that. In other words, these are churchgoers that in the last days will say, we used to hear Jesus is coming, we don't want to hear it anymore. And it appears that we've reached that place in our church society again. The great falling away um, uh, comes first, and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. There's only two individuals that are known, are called the son of perdition in the Bible. One is Judas. The other is, guess who? The Antichrist, right? Who is possessed by Satan, by the way. Who will be possessed by Satan. So the only two, in fact, it's, it's uh, caused some people like A.W. Pink to believe that Judas Iscariot is reincarnated as uh, the Antichrist. Um, nevertheless, we move on, verse 4, and this is what the man of sin, the son of perdition, a.k.a. the Antichrist, does. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or above all that is worshipped, so that he, the Antichrist, sits as God. Look at this. Where does the Antichrist sit as God? In the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Wow, so Revelation chapter 11, there's going to be a temple. Get out the measuring stick, John. You're going to measure. You're going to measure the sanctuary. Uh, you're going to measure the altar. You're going to measure the people that are there at the temple. Well, that's an interesting one back in chapter 11. Second Thessalonians, there's definitely a temple there. There's definitely an antichrist that demands to be worshipped there. This is going to come back in a few more minutes. But he's told to measure the people. Why is that? I believe it's this. In other words, John, take count of all the people, all the Jewish people that are going to, temp to the temple to worship during these days. Even the days that the Antichrist will rise to power and put an end to the worship there at the temple. So what's going on here? I want to show you this. That that you see up there is a picture of a train. You guys figured that out, right? It's a train in Jerusalem. Now, now think of this. Uh, Damon Duck, who's one of my uh, uh, favorite writers to go to for just various newsletters he has, um, he writes, uh, everyone know, that studies Bible prophecy knows that the Jewish temple will be built. In 2001, 
Israel decided to build an underground high-speed railroad from its Ben-Gurion International Airport to downtown Jerusalem. In 2016, Israel decided that many travelers will want to visit the Temple Mount when the Temple is rebuilt. For that reason, Israel made plans to extend the railroad to the Temple Mount, build a station, build 27,000 new hotel rooms by 2026, and then even more than that. At two people per room, 27,000 new hotel rooms will handle more than 50,000 people a day over and above those that are going there now. In May of 2017, President Trump became the first sitting president of the U.S. to visit the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. On December 6, 2017, President Trump recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. December 26, 2017, Israel's transportation minister said the railroad will be called the King David Railroad because King David was the first to establish Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. It was also, excuse me, announced that the train station will be named the Donald J. Trump train station. This is fascinating. On January 15, 2018, it was reported that Israel's high-speed train uh, is expected to com be completed just in time for Passover of 2018. That's March 30th. Wow. A spokesman, listen to this, for the United Temple Movement suggested that there is a need to add a second train with at least some cattle cars to transport animals for the animal sacrifice. I mean, you hear these things. This is in the mind of Jewish people right now. We are moving forward. Um, the embassy in Jerusalem. We are moving forward. Other nations getting behind us wanting to have a peace plan. We are moving forward. And the religious mindset of the Jews over there is we are going to build a temple. God said a temple is going to be built in the last days. I look at this as one of the most exciting events taking place right now. Um, just to think, I, we don't know when the temple is going to be built. We're going to look at that in a few minutes. I'm going to give you a basic time frame. Um, but you look at it, folks, we live in what appears to be the most exciting days in the history of the world since Jesus was first here. You look at this, you go back to the Jews and the time of the Exodus and going, oh, oh, you know, getting out of Egypt and, and crossing the Jordan and, and all of these things. It, phenomenal. And then you, you, you look at your Bible and you start reading these things. Old Testament and New Testament passages, and, and folks, it appears that we, are living in these days. This is exciting times to be alive. People are fearful. They don't want to hear these things. They just want to be entertained. If you're familiar with Roman history, when the Roman government was, was starting to have its implosion, um, the idea of bread and circuses came about. It was give the people food and entertain them. So they won't know what's really going on and they won't really care. You wonder why the government and the world government wants to do these things? And the global new world order that's coming? Bread and circuses. Entertain the people and just, you know, give them money in the bank account. I find it fascinating. Anyways, it's just me. Second question. 
Why is it important to the Jews to have their temple built again? It's a big deal. Uh, Reestablishing the Sanhedrin, the temple sacrifice, and etc. are important to the Jews because without them, the Jews cannot fully practice Judaism. Professor Hillel Weiss, a spokesman, the secretary of the Sanhedrin, put it in perspective when he said, for 2,000 years, we practiced Judaism <clears throat> a certain way. Even though we are in Israel, the Torah and uh, mitzvot are still in Galut, or the diaspora. Uh, there are many practical things we could do, and in truth should do, to make Judaism richer and more like it was in the times of the temple. So if you go back into Jewish history, uh, this is why the Jews want to build their temple. We want to be able to reestablish Judaism the way it was in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you have passages like this in Exodus, for example, chapter 40. And uh, this is before a temple was built, but still the people being gathered to learn how to worship in the tabernacle and the priests. Uh, you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. This is God's word to Moses. And wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as a priest. So God is calling his priesthood through the lineage of Aaron, Moses' brother. And you're going to have particular garments. You're going to have to be cleansed in a particular way with water and so forth, right? And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. So here it is. It's Aaron and his sons. So it's the descendants of Aaron. They must be of the priestly line. For our terms, they must have a particular DNA to, 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 uh, that can be followed so we would know today who could be the sons of Aaron that could be priests. All right, you guys following this? Okay. Clothe them with tunics. What's about their clothing? You shall anoint them as you anointed their father that they may minister to me as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood Throughout their generation. So an everlasting priesthood. You start with Aaron and then his descendants. They're going to have particular clothing. They're going to have particular instruments. They're going to have a particular way they have to do everything. And they're going to have a particular way that they're going to have to wash uh, their hands to be able to serve me and make sure that they are clean as possible. So we look at things today and what's going on today. The Jews in Israel today, they want their temple. They want it to be the days of glory of old, they want to be able to reestablish. Why, why should Islam be able to, Muslims be able to worship? Right? Catholics, Protestants, Buddhists, uh, those who are of the Hindu faith, pretty much everybody can. When it comes to the Jews, they've got a problem because they got no temple. I mean, as far as Islam is concerned, they have their three major mosques. Right? And you start looking, the Catholic Church has the Vatican and Rome, and you have all that. Why, why is it that the Jews are, are unable to? Right? So, but they want to. They want to get back to that. Um, so they have priests that are in training. You look at some of the, the instruments that are necessary for the preparation for the priests that we just read about in Exodus chapter 40 to be able to rightly worship God. Here, what's this? It's the copper laver. Uh, here's this an oil pitcher. These things are necessary. You have the menorah over there on the side. Um, copper meal offering vessel. Uh, here's this, the vessel for cleaning the menorah. So all of these things, and, and there's a lot more uh, that are necessary. Um, so the ornaments, including the altar, 
have already been made. I'll show you a picture of, of how the, the, uh, the approach to the altar works in just a minute. Uh, priests, to perform the ceremonies that are necessary to worship in the temple, um, have also been located and confirmed by DNA tests as having the, the correct chromosomes that uh, 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 Jewish priests, they, they carry particular markers. So the Aaron covenant with his sons and descendants forever, right? You get this everlasting covenant. New York Times, this is interesting, wrote, in an unusual marriage of science and religion, researchers found biological evidence in support of an ancient belief. Certain Jewish men, thought to be descendants of the first high priest Aaron, the older brother of Moses, share distinctive genetic traits, suggesting that they may indeed be members of a single lineage that has endured for thousands of years. Uh, another group of scholars wrote, it has been known for over a decade that a majority of men who self-report as members of the Jewish priesthood conum carry a characteristic Y-chromosome haplotype termed the Cohen modal haplotype. Um, not only are they finding priests and genetically confirming their heritage, there are many that are in training right now. Uh, here is some of the training. It's hard to see in this picture. There's people up above watching these priests that are in training right now. And then here's another picture. This is inside the Temple Institute. If you ever get an opportunity to go to Israel and Jerusalem, uh, this is one of the places you get to go visit. On our next trip to Israel, you'll have that opportunity if you want to go with us. We're going uh, sometime in the future. And you have this ramp that would go up to the altar. You have these priests that are practicing. So the whole thing is phenomenal. It, 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 and the Jews, they want to build the temple. They are doing what they can to get going with this temple ASAP. If they were given the green light tomorrow morning, they'd be starting on that temple. And we would be hearing about it. And it would be wild. We're going to see how wild in a minute. But number three, what does this mean? The holy city will be tread underfoot for 42 months. Um, that's what uh, uh, verse 2 tells us. They will tread the holy city underfoot 42 months. That's the Gentiles are going to do that. Um, What's well, 42 months? Well, 42 months is three and a half years, right? 36 months is three years. The additional six months, half a year, right? So 42 months is three and a half years. The length of the tribulation is how long? Seven years, right? So this is half of the tribulation period. Uh, so they will tread the holy city for 42 months. The Gentiles will. Um, when, are, when does this take place then? Um, are they treading the holy city in the first half of the tribulation, right? Or are they treading the holy city in the second half of the tribulation? Now, this is why I read all six verses to you. I'm going to show you this. Because there can be confusion here. I don't want you to be confused as most people get when they get to this part, all right? Verses 1 through 3 again. John's given a, a reed like a measuring rod. The angels stood saying, rise, measure the temple of God, the altar of God, and those who worship there. Verse 2. So what's verse 1 about? The temple, right? Verse 2, But leave out the court which is outside the temple. Do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. All right, so you got it, right? So there's a temple in the last days. There's a court of the Gentiles 
outside of the temple in the last days. I'll show you that in a minute too. And then at the end of verse 3, it's a new sentence. Or verse 2, it's a new sentence. And they, that would be the Gentiles, will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. All right. Stop. Verses 1 and 2 are about what? They're about the temple. All right. Verse 3. And it's for how long is the, the, the holy city going to be tread? Three and a half years. 42 months, three and a half years. Look at verse 3. And I will give power, this is God saying, to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy, look at this, 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. How long is 1,260 days? You can fact check me. Get out your phone, fact check me, that's all right. I probably would fact check you. It's three and a half years, it's 42 months. A 30-day calendar, a 30-day month calendar. So you have two periods of 42 months, or two periods of Three and a half years. The tribulation period is seven years long. Okay. I know, and we'll see this next time, that verse 3 is talking about the first half of the tribulation period. Because after the two witnesses bring fire down from heaven and smoke everybody, the Antichrist rises to power at the midpoint of the tribulation, puts them to death. The two witnesses rise. The whole world is watching. And that all takes place at the midpoint of the tribulation. So the two witnesses are prophesying the first three and a half years, 1,260 days of the tribulation period, all right? But the catch is this. I believe, verse 2, where it's also a period of three and a half years, is the second half of the tribulation, where it's talking about three and a half years. Why is that? Verses 1 through 6, if you take them in the context together, um, my, my title at New King James Bible says the two witnesses at the top of it, right? However, the two witnesses starts in verse 3. So really, verses 1 and 2 are about the what? Temple. Temple. Verses 3 through 6 are about the two witnesses. They are two different things. When you look at verses 1 and 2, what they are describing is this, that a temple is coming, the Jews are going to worship there. God told them, count the people. Remember that? Measure the temple, the altar, and count the people. The Jews will be worshiping there. And after the Jews worship there, they will be tread underfoot for 42 months. I believe that is after the first half of the tribulation period. Verses 1 and 2 just give us a summary of, of the temple, the people worshiping there, and then the Antichrist is going to cut it all off. Make sense? Okay, if it doesn't make sense yet, this will. The word for tread, underfoot, it means to trample, to crush with the feet. That happens in the second half of the tribulation when the Antichrist says, get rid of all the Jews. And the greatest holocaust in the history of the world against the Jews will begin at that point at the beginning of the second half of the tribulation, the second set of three and a half years, the second set of 42 months. Does it make sense? Okay, if it doesn't, that's all right, because it's all going to make sense in just a few more minutes. Scout's honor. Or was it this hand? I don't remember. I wasn't a very good Boy Scout. Uh, number four, when will the temple be built? Um, that's what everybody wants to know. When is the rapture going to happen? Uh, when is the temple going to be built? Who is the Antichrist? You know, all those questions, right? 
So when is the temple going to be built? I will, I'll give you it in a nutshell, and then we're going to look at a couple of things. It will be built before the middle of the tribulation period begins. That's easy enough to understand, right? Okay, how do we know that? Or the middle of the 70th week of Daniel. Remember this, whenever you're looking at the tribulation period, understand it's easiest to understand it if you always call it the 70th week of Daniel. Um, the time of Jacob's trouble. Because it's the time that is appointed just for the Jews. The tribulation period, God is focusing on the Jews. He is redeeming them again. So that's what's going on in the book of Revelation. It's really about the redemption of the Jewish people. So when you think of it with the 70th week of Daniel, you go, okay, 70th week of Daniel is for the Jewish people. It's that term of a week. Daniel wrote this in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Then he, that be the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. And I put this in parentheses for you so you could read it anytime on the internet, meaning a week of years or a seven-year period. Hence the tribulation is seven years. The 70th week of Daniel is seven years, right? So we have three and a half years, three and a half years. 42 months, 42 months. You guys, you guys are good. You guys, are you still tracking with me? Okay. I'm doing my best, thank you. I'm doing my best not to lose y'all. But in the middle of the week, ah, look at that. In the middle of the week, at the end of the first 42 months, that's when the two witnesses rise up. Oh, that we'll look at next time. In the middle of the week, he, that should have been a small h, please forgive me for that. Oh, that's atrocious. That. What happened? Oh. Oh, I got to go backwards. Please forgive me. I got to fix this. Isn't this bad? Oh, I know what I did wrong. Okay, watch this. You ready? This is going to be like magic. And praise the Lord for editing, too, because that will be all edited out later on, not on live stuff, but hey. Okay, so, but in the middle of the week, little h. You see that? <laughs> he, the Antichrist. Ah. Oh will bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So, Antichrist is going to confirm a peace treaty. That's what's going on there. For seven years, he's going to break that treaty at the midpoint period. 42 months, the two witnesses go up. The Jews have been worshiping in the temple. Antichrist is going to go in and sit at the temple. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we read that, remember? Demanding to be worshipped as God. And then he's going to bring out all hell upon the Jewish people as the Gentiles tread the holy city underfoot. Um, this covenant confirming that the Antichrist does, that he confirms with the Jews uh, and many other nations around Israel uh, for one week, I believe includes the rebuilding of the temple. How uh, Lindsay said... Um, I believe the problem of a violent reaction to a Jewish temple being rebuilt may be the reason for the strong covenant which the prophet Daniel says the Jewish people will make with the Roman Antichrist. In return for certain concessions from the Jews, he will guarantee protection for them so that they can rebuild their temple and reinstate animal sacrifice. The religious Jews will push for this and accept the false prophet as the Messiah because 
he helps to secure the rebuilding of the temple. So, uh, so Hal Lindsey's taking the Antichrist and the false prophet working together. The Antichrist confirms the covenant. Basically, they enter in because the Jews want to build the temple, and he's saying it's all going to be part of the package deal. Hal Lindsey may be absolutely right about how it all goes down. We don't know for sure. But I can tell you this, the Jews want to build the temple, the world is in an uproar for, for uh, uh, so much of what is going on in Israel, but especially because of the building of the temple. But this house is going to work. There will be relative peace for the first three and a half years of the seven-year covenant. The Jews are going to be worshiping there in the temple. And then at the midpoint, they'll tread underfoot uh, as the Antichrist will wreak havoc on all the Jewish people. And this is what Jesus wrote about in Matthew 24. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So see, it's when you see standing in the holy place, this is the, the abomination of desolation. Right? This is the the Antichrist, when he demands an end to the animal sacrifice, and he demands 2 Thessalonians 2 to be worshipped as God. Okay, Standing in the holy place. That means there's a holy place that's built. Right? Okay, Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Woe to those who are pregnant. Woe to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no nor ever shall be. So if the abomination of desolation stands in the holy place, that demands that a temple is built and that there's an altar there also. So again, listen, I'm telling you, this temple is coming. Okay, let's move on. What is the location of the coming temple and the court of the Gentiles? Well, let's see what we can figure out. Okay, so here is the Temple Mount today. See that gold thing right there? That is a current problem. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but it is, right? Here's a, a closer-up picture of it. Um, but where will the um, temple be? Okay, so here again... No, not this again. Gold dome. Will the temple be here? Or will the temple be somewhere else? Some scholars, by the way, just for the record, they place, this is known as the city of David down here. And that's excavated. It's a fabulous place to go to. It is really amazing. David's palace was down here. Or David, you know, Bathsheba stuff. All that took place right here. Um, and uh, this is uh, a model of what the area of Jerusalem, this is the Temple Mount and the temple in the days of Jesus. There's the southern steps. This is the city of David down here. This is the Kidron Valley over here, by the way. You know, let me go back to this. So there's some scholars out there, I'm just telling you this so you can have this in your head. Some scholars that are out there, and they're smart, they place the temple down here in the city of David. Um, I, I just don't, I don't get that at all. And the reason, one of the main reasons I don't get that, they'll say it's down here. Some of you probably read some of those books or went online. Uh, David's palace is about here. It's like the highest place in the city of David. If, he, if David had picked out the property, uh, he purchased the, 
threshing floor from Aruna. You remember that in 2 Samuel? Solomon built the temple where the threshing floor was picked. The threshing floor would have been above the city of David. This is Mount Moriah up here. What uh, Herod did, Herod who had the little baby boys killed when Jesus was born, Herod leveled off the temple mount, built it up, put a retaining wall around it. That's what you see. That's a retaining wall. That's what that is. And then the temple went up there. All right? This is Mount Moriah. That's what that is. That's the place Christians, Jews, and Islam alike believes that, well, Christians and Jews believe Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. Islam said Abraham was going to sacrifice Ishmael. But that's another story, and we're not going to get into that tonight. But nevertheless, they all agree this is Mount Moriah. Um, the threshing floor would have been on Mount Moriah where David purchased it. David was a worshiper of God. There is no way on this planet David would have had his palace up here and the temple below his palace. There's absolutely, I mean, that would have been the biggest anathema of all. Uh, you would have gone up from David's palace to the place where the temple was going to be built. That's just a real uh, simple explanation of uh, why that is. But when we think of the last day's temple, um, where could it actually be? So here's this picture again. Uh, here's the Temple Mount, the Gold Dome. This is Al-Aqsa Mosque right here, by the way. There's the Gold Dome. Um, I have placed the temple here, or actually this way, before. Um, others have placed it right here. See where that red dot is? Can I see that? What is right there? I am going to show you. This is not right there, but we're going to go on the other side of this. By the way, you go to Israel, you actually, you'll walk up there, right where the gold, you can touch that gold dome. It's kind of a crazy thing. But here's what's going on. Okay, see that? This gazebo here is known as the Dome of the Tablets or the Dome of the Spirits. Muslims and Jews both call it that. Asher Kaufman. A Jewish scholar years ago said this is the place that Muslims and Jews both believed that the Holy of Holies originally stood. Hence, the Dome of the Tablets, the Ten Commandments. Dome of the Spirit or Spirits, the Shekinah glory of God over the Holy of Holies. Um, so I, I find it interesting. Also, it's worth noting uh, some other things of interest regarding that gold dome. I've got to share this with you. Um, some scholars now believe that the Dome of the Rock was not built for Muslims, but it was built for Jews. In a book called The Temple Mount, the late Rabbi Sh uh, Shlomo Gorin, a Temple Mount expert and chief rabbi of the IDF, wrote, the Al-Aqsa Mosque was built as a Muslim house of prayer outside the boundaries of the original Temple Mount, and therefore it points southward toward Mecca, uh, the, the um, let me show you where the Al-Aqsa Mosque is. This is the Al-Aqsa Mosque. This is south, right? Okay, so this is what he's saying. That, that was the mosque, and uh, the uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque was built as a Muslim house of prayer uh, outside the boundaries of the original Temple Mount. And at the request of Jews, Omar built the Dome of the Rock Sanctuary, that's the gold dome, to serve as a house of prayer for the Jews. This was after the Jews showed him the site where the holy temple had stood. In at least one ancient source, the Byzantine historian Theophanes wrote 
contemporaneously with the time of Omar in Jerusalem that the Dome of the Rock was Omar's attempt to build uh, a temple for the Jews. So it's interesting, you start looking at that history, and, uh, but you look at this gold dome, you say, man, that's going to be World War III if anything happens to that. Even if there's some Muslims out there that say that's where the temple actually was and Omar actually did intend the Jews to worship there, right? You guys still tracking with me? Okay. We're, 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 we're kind of almost done. All right. So this is the gold dome. Um, the gazebo, oops, the gazebo. That's what happens after the gazebo. The gazebo, <laughs> the dome of the tablets is over here. Right? So this thing, that's where that is. So there are scholars that are saying the court of the Gentiles, the gold dome would be in the court of the Gentiles if the temple is built right there. There is a model in Jerusalem you can look at. I've seen this model before. You go underneath the temple mount, you go into this room, and they put it right there. There's the gold dome, and there's the temple built. It's, it's a pretty cool thing to see. But um, here's a, uh, a, a different model, not the one I saw, but this gives you the idea. Um, here You have the gold dome, court of the Gentiles on the outside. Here's the temple here. My friend, my Israeli friend Yossi, is absolutely convinced. He says, I've seen plans for P, uh, P, uh, P. <laughs> I've seen plans for P. This is just going great. Um, Prefabricated temple plans. So when the green light is given, man, they're going to be able to put it up. Then also he says, there is a wall designed to separate the Gentiles, keeping the gold dome outside and the Jews to be able to worship there at the Temple Mount. So let's move on. When I get through this, just a few more questions. Number six, who is necessary to make the decision to build the coming temple? Well, you have uh, Israeli government officials. Um, you have various religious officials that want to uh, build the temple that um, are necessary. They've, they've got to be on board. Not all the, there's not too many government officials that are on board with it yet because they don't want to start World War III. They go, okay, this could be a problem. You know, Muslims can worship, Buddhists can worship, Catholics can worship, Protestants can worship, but what do what the Jews do, right? It's that kind of thought. The one thing that many say, almost everyone says, is necessary for the next temple in Jerusalem to be built is the establishment of the Sanhedrin. Now, this is interesting. The, last, the Sanhedrin was all but done away with in 70 AD when Rome crushed Israel and the Jews. And the, the diaspora took, the great diaspora took place at that point. But the Sanhedrin still operated up until about, I think it was 358 AD, when they instituted um, a Hebrew calendar. And as far as I know, that was the last act they did until 2004. 2004, another Sanhedrin uh, came into place. And uh, one of the new Sanhedrin's first actions was to call for construction of the components of the pre fabricated uh, temple with all of the pieces in place, just ready to go, as I mentioned a minute ago. Their website says, the current attempt to reestablish the Sanhedrin is generally referred to as the nascent Sanhedrin or the developing Sanhedrin. This is because the prevailing opinion of the senior members of the Sanhedrin is that the Sanhedrin is, has not yet achieved the Jewish legal status on par with its previous position, but... It has, however, it does have the full authority of a rabbinical court. And this current Sanhedrin, the Nascent Sanhedrin, it's holding 
ceremonial recreations for worship at the temple. Now, so they have priests that are going through the motions, not to worship today. They have priests, the DNA, all these things being traced, priests that have gathered together, practicing already, prefabricated walls for the temple. They are excited and they are ready to go. You start looking at this, the train coming from the Ben-Gurion airport to Jerusalem, the sole purpose of that train is to be able to eventually get Jews to worship at the temple, over 50,000 a day. All those hotel rooms going in. It's like, could you be more prepared than they are prepared to, 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 to have this take place? It's just a remarkable thing. Just two final questions. Number seven, who controls the Temple Mount? I'll make this part quick. Um, Israel, uh, sorry about the margins over there. Number one, Israel has police oversight, uh, uh, but the site is managed and controlled in other ways by the Jerusalem Islamic uh, walk or wake. Um, in this way, currently, you could say, Jerusalem or the Temple Mount is treaded uh, underfoot um, by the Islamic wake, um, but the Israel, Israeli police is still there, um, but the fulfillment of being treaded underfoot that Revelation 11 is talking about hasn't happened yet. That's talking about the holy city, that's not happened, and it's talking about a crushing. Again, that's the second half of the tribulation period. But real quick, here's what happened was in 1967, the Jews captured the city of Jerusalem again. But Moshe Dayan, not wanting to start a third world war, he gave over the management to the Islamic wake. That's what happened. I don't want to start a war. He wasn't really into the, the religious stuff at all. Moshe Dayan wanted to him. It wasn't an important thing. Uh, well, we just want to keep the peace. 1967. So here we are, uh, coming up. Uh, man, you look years, 67, 77, 87, 97, 07, 17 years. You start looking at the years, you go, man, it's been quite a uh, long time. As it stands right now, Muslims can worship and pray on the Temple Mount. Um, Jews and Christians cannot. Uh, when you go to the Temple Mount, if you get an opportunity to ever visit there, uh, if you're a Christian, uh, you aren't going to be able to wear any crosses. You aren't going to be able to take your Bible on the Temple Mount. There's a lot of things you aren't going to be able to do. If you have like a Jesus shirt on, uh, either you're going to cover it up or you ain't going on, right? It's, it's, it, that's how it is. And Jews, oh man, are they strict with Jews. You are not going to be, if you are seen on the Temple Mount like this, you're, you're getting booted off. But if you're Muslim, you can worship there. There is a great fear of Muslims that the Jews want to build the temple. There is so much energy going against that. When you look at all that's going on in the world, the zero, the, the, the target of last day's prophecy, the bullseye right in the dead center, it is the Temple Mount, and it is about the Jews building their temple. That is the big sign of when Jesus is returning. So I look at all these things going on, and, and that brings us to the last question, what role will the temple play in the future of the world? It's pivotal. Um, it's pivotal. Could you imagine that uh, if we're here, what if in eight months you woke up on Monday morning and you heard there were cranes out on the Temple Mount and Jews were building the Temple? I mean, you start looking at this and we're watching these things develop in the world, in the Bible. And I look at these things and I think, wow, my guess is I'm not going to be here, but I don't know. 
the temple could be built before the rapture takes place. Um, it, might not take, it might not be built till sometime after. It, the temple could or could not be part of the peace covenant that the Antichrist confirms. If it is part of the covenant, I believe I'm going to be out of here. I believe I'm going to be out of here before he confirms the covenant. But if it's not, what if the Jews? What if Donald J. Trump gets in there and he's able to do some type of peace treaty that allows the Jews to build their temple now, but it's not that peace treaty yet? It's not the seven-year covenant that Daniel's... What if? You know, you start looking at this and all of the pressure going that day. Friends, I believe that we live in absolutely remarkable day so much so that we remember this jesus said luke 21 this is in the olivet discourse and in the olivet discourse the main thing jesus talked about he put all these different signs and he said however when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place you know it's over right and he said in luke 21 when you see these things begin to happen look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near friends i'm telling you we are seeing these things begin to happen. And you look at this and you go, wow, Jesus must be coming soon. May we be ready. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you.